Viva la Revolution were the words, and they were accompanied by images of a man free-falling through the air before grappling to the wing of an airplane or the legs of a helicopter and then jumping inside and taking it over. The excitement would continue as we retreated to more of these stunts, lots of gunfire and explosion after explosion. It was like the best action movie come to life. This was of course 2006 and we were all eagerly awaiting the release of Avalanche Studios Just Cause. And while it wasn't a perfect game, boy did it deliver on that action. And more importantly, the enjoyment. While you might know the games, or even the series which still exist to this day, you may not know the history behind it. Both the title of the series Just Cause and the plot behind the games have a basis in an actual historical event. Curious about what it is? Well, stick around and join us for this topic and more as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope that you're all being safe out there, and more importantly, I hope that you're all being kind to one another. Welcome to our podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane, where we take a nostalgic look back at some uh, video games that came out this week. That being said, I'd like to introduce my co-host, my better-looking brother, Robert Casson. Rob, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Dave. Can't complain too much because not a lot of people want to listen, you know? (laughs) (laughs) How are you? Well, you know, Rob, I, we front very well for our podcasts. Uh, you know, we're supposed to, but I'm not going to lie. I had a bit of a case of the Mondays today because it's Monday. I I couldn't get going this morning for the life of me. No, tell me about treat, it. How did Monday uh, treat you? I myself happened to wake up half an hour late to work and got there about an hour over my time. I should have been there. When's the last time time you've done that? I honestly couldn't tell you the last time that I slept in that bad. Normally it's five, ten minutes late because of some traffic, but not, not, uh, haven't done an hour for the longest time. Did you bring donuts? You know, I should have, but there were so many. Because then you could have been like, hey, here's some donuts. Sorry I'm late. Yeah, well, the boss man already knew, and there were already a bunch (laughs) of leftovers from the weekend, uh, the weekend trip they had. Oh, well. Mistakes happen, as long as you don't make a habit of it, you know what I mean? Oh, exactly, I know that. So, today we're talking revolution. There's a lot of revolution going on in the world today, wouldn't you say? Well, with all the cars on the road, damn straight. (laughs) Not that kind of revolution. I'm talking about Viva la Revolution! You know, the... the, the Ah, the bourgeoisie. Oh, yes, a little bit of bourgeoisie. Absolutely. Nah, man, the world is a crazy place. People are revolting against a variety of causes everywhere. I mean, I you know, we can we can talk about all the social justice change people are protesting here in the United States, but I mean, there are protests going on in countries all across the world. The the whole world is angry right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, the world is a crazy place right now. We don't really know how things are going to be. We're just kind of taking it by storm and waiting to see what tomorrow holds. That's a luxury that I'm thankful for all the time because I think that there are a lot of people protesting things that 
that's not a luxury for them. I mean, a lot of people in other places go to sleep and they just, they don't know if they're going to wake up tomorrow. It's, it's frightening. Absolutely frightening. So we're going to touch base more on the concept of revolution as we get into this episode. But as with all of our episodes, our topics are based on a video game. We don't always talk about said video game, but our topics are based on video games. That's a a rule of thumb for a video game podcast, wouldn't you say? I would say so, Dave. (laughs) I would hope so. Maybe we'll get to a point where we'll be the video game podcast that doesn't talk about games at all. We're just like, eh, here's a topic. You figure out what game it's from. (laughs) Now, wouldn't that be interesting? Hey, everyone, send in your submissions for what game you think this week's topic is regarding. Yeah, exactly right. We'll we'll have a whole hour-long podcast, and then our social media will just be open to, what video game do you think that topic came from? And I'll pick some obscure arcade game from the 1970s that has nothing to do with anything, and I just picked a roundabout as a topic as I could. Sounds like a plan, Dave. (laughs) Yeah, something's got to give here. Got to separate ourselves from the masses. So today we're going to be talking about Just Cause, a 2006 action-adventure game set in an open-world environment. Rob, I may have sprung this upon you. What do you know about the Just Cause game? I know that you can do a lot of really fun stuff with this little, like, kind of grappling hook thing. You kind of hook it into people and hook it into something that goes really fast and watch them go flying. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I remember back in uh, 2006, uh, this would have been an Xbox 360 game for me. That's where I would play it. And I remember being so freaking excited for it because there were two things that were heavily advertised, at least that I can remember about this game. And the first thing is the stunts. Absolutely the stunts, and we'll cover that in just a moment. But the second thing was the map. This was pretty epic in terms of how big the map was you know it 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 is a map right now that's noted as covering 395 square miles and at the time one of the bigger games i can remember playing was grand theft auto san andreas rob did you ever play san andreas i played san andreas way more (laughs) than most games that i remember growing up and Admittedly, I probably was a little too young for it, but that's what made it so fun at the time. Didn't San Andreas feel like a huge map, though? Like, I I remember when that came out, and every time a new Grand Theft Auto came out, they just upped it and upped it and upped it, and San Andreas felt big. Yes, the game felt very big at the time, and it was kind of amazing, because you could just drive and drive around, and you would it just take forever to get from one point to the other. And I remember there were so many of the missions where I felt like I was just driving forever. And I was always so annoyed by those. And I laugh thinking back because GTA 5, which I still play a lot of, is much worse. Well, look, let's put this in a comparison. So by scale, just causes a 395 square mile map. San Andreas was only 14 square miles to scale. And Grand Theft Auto V, which, yes, we do play together and we still play to this day, is only 31 square miles. So Just Cause was over 10 times the size of Grand Theft Auto V. Grand Theft Auto V is, I mean, it takes a hot minute to get from one side of the map to the other. 
Yeah, if there's any missions where I gotta go from point A on the southeast corner to point B on the northwest, I am putting that game down and never picking it up again. So, couple things to know about the the map, though. You know, it it was big, but it was empty. I mean, it was an impressive map, but, you know, it, it had its areas clustered together. And it was also procedurally generated, so it wasn't... It, it was a lot of repetitive stuff, which led to it being big and empty. But it was still really impressive. I remember being so impressed by the sheer size of it. So as we said, Just Cause is an action-adventure game, and it, it it's a third-person shooter. At least I played it as a third-person shooter. You know, the controls for the shooting were just okay. You know, I... I I like to go back to reviews for a lot of the stuff that we look at. And there was a review that I kind of can relate to on Steam by Short Cannon. And he noted that the gameplay is by far the weakest third-party shooter I have ever seen. He said that the shooting feels clunky and that sometimes his shots don't even connect with enemies. Which which I can get. It, it wasn't a game that anyone was going, hey, the shooting in this feels, feels really good, unfortunately. Um, but as we already talked about, there were the stunts, and I think that another Steam review by a gentleman called Mist King summed it up very well as he called it the original action film simulator. Rob, you said you know the grappling hook, right? Yes, very well, from the videos so the, that I have seen. So the grappling hook was, I mean, you could you could grapple vehicles, you could grapple planes, you could grapple helicopters... And then you had these stunt moves to where you could go from the inside of the car to the roof or the plane to the wing or from the helicopter to be hanging off the the leg of the helicopter. And you could string all those together so you could be surfing on the top of a car and you could grapple to a helicopter and then hop in the helicopter. And then if a plane was close by, you could grapple right to a plane and you could literally string these over and over and over and never stop. And it was an incredibly fun gameplay loop. Incredibly fun. So who is the main character of this game? The main character of this game was Rico Rodriguez. Are you sure? Because it sounds awfully lot like Peter Parker to me. <laughs> you know, I have never thought of that before. It is incredibly like Spider-Man. And now, some, what, 14 years later? Is it really 14 years? Yes, 14 years later. We have Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4. Yeah, you could do a lot of the same stuff, just string your stuff together. Of course, there's not really planes or, uh, I mean, there are helicopters, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah plus New York is much smaller than 395 square miles, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. it has to be. Yeah, New York is super, con super condensed. You know, and one of the other things that was really impressive about this game was there were over 100 vehicles. I mean. There was just so much to this game, and in 2006, there wasn't a whole lot to compare it to. Nowadays, open-world action games are, you know, I wouldn't say a dime a dozen, but they're much more common. But back in 2006, this was this was kind of revolutionary at the time. It was a, it was a ton of fun. Rob, give See? me... <laughs> yes, my name is Rob. Hit me with the plot of Just Cause. All right. So Just Cause begins with Rico Rodriguez. He is an operative for an organization known as the Agency, and he's being dropped into a Caribbean tropical island called San Esperito after being called there by his commanding officer, Tom Sheldon, to help overthrow the dictator, Salvador Mendoza. And Salvador Mendoza is believed to be in possession of weapons of mass destruction by the Agency. 
After Rico arrives, he meets up with Sheldon and fellow agent Maria Kane, and they ally themselves with a guerrilla group staging a rebellion against the regime and the Rioja drug cartel, another enemy of the government. Rico assists them in their civil war against Mendoza's corrupt officials, Black Hand mercenaries, and the Montano cartel. So basically, what you're telling me is that Rico, and I don't know if it was in there, but I remember this from me playing it. So Rico was a United States operative who was planed, airlifted, snuck, spied, however you want to put it. He was inserted into a Caribbean island to help stage a rebellion and overthrow its dictator. Sound right? I would say yes. That's uh, basically what I said. So is that a believable plot, Rob? You know, a part of me wants to say no, but I'm sure that it's had to have happened some way, somewhere, somehow. I'm sure that there have been some groups that have been able to, through covert ops destabilize entire governments well so let's break that down do you believe at this point you know based on what you know about history and and modern events and and everything you know you're a decade younger than me roughly do you think that the u.s government intervenes in say latin america countries i i almost have no doubt about that we obviously know of the embargo with Cuba and the situation with Fidel Castro. And I'd find it hard to believe that the U.S. doesn't have involvement in Latin America, being that it's landlocked and that the uh, border is quite easy to cross from what we've seen from all of the people crossing it. Uh, great job, Trump and your wall. <laughs> that they would want to have some kind of involvement because they wouldn't want a hostile government in power that would lead to the land south of America to be, or the land south of the USA to be hostile towards the USA and always be watching our backs, so to speak. I feel the US government, with all the money that it dumps into the military, is definitely funneling money into these other countries to make sure that we're staying on everyone's good side. And if that means having to take down some people we don't like, well, we know what happened with Bin Laden. All right. Fair enough. So I'm going to walk that back a little bit. So it's your understanding or your belief that the U.S. government actively works to dismantle regimes that they believe are no longer aligned with our interests. Is that a fair statement? Well, I don't want to, I'm not just saying that I'm not just saying Latin America. Uh, Let's look at, let's look at the entire thing globally, man. Let's, let's, let's hit politics a little bit. I know it's touchy, but you know, does the United States work actively to dismantle regimes that aren't in our best interest? What do you think? While it's not something that I want to admit, I would believe that, yes. I mean, we see it enough in media, and while a lot of media can be based on fiction, and we know that because there are so many unrealistic things that are portrayed because of the human imagination, there has to be some kind of truth to some of these things. And uh, knowing of the different agencies that operate around the world, it would lead credibility to the fact that some of them are working to make sure that 
foreign governments are more aligned to American ideals and visions. You think even more so now than ever? Or, or, do you think uh, we've got, or do you think we've gotten away from that? I think so now more than ever solely because of the person in power. Uh, the figurehead of our nation is definitely more of a target than previous. And in that, they would want to make sure that more countries are sided with him as opposed to against him or possibly view him as a laughingstock and not as a serious threat to protect him. See, I don't agree. I think that as a counterpoint, we are less of a global power now than we've ever been, that we are very nationalistic and that we look only to ourselves and we believe that we don't need to be a member of the global economy, politics, whichever you want to put it. And I would think that now more than ever, we're probably less and less involved in in that. I think we've spent the last four years looking inward and just kind of closing ourselves off to all that. Now, with that being said, I don't agree with that. I think it's naive to think that we can exist as a country without the rest of the world. There is no country unto itself. And the way that we've conducted ourselves is, I just think it's unrealistic. I I think assuming that we can dismantle these trade agreements and, and, and ruin our political stature and our diplomacy with countries is, is we're not going to be able to sustain this. I don't think we're going to be able to sustain this at all. I would have to agree. See, we can get political. Mm-hmm. Get your weekly dose of game-related politics here on the uh, Trip Down Memory Card Lane podcast. Each week, we talk a little bit of politics. Rob, we got a little sidetracked, but I wanted to make a point with that, is that, you know, there's a historical context for this. In fact, there's a historical context for the Just Cause series in itself, and that Operation Just Cause was an actual historical event. Did you know that? Uh, no, I didn't. What historical event would that be? So Operation Just Cause was the name of the United States invasion of Panama in the late, well, it was 89-90. So it was December of 89, January of 1990. It was about a, a, a one-month campaign. It actually existed. Operation Just Cause, the premise behind this game, actually existed. Isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah, I, that's, and that's, yeah, that's wild. I would never have guessed that, honestly. How, how many video games do you know have their basis in a historical context, you think? I mean, aside from the obvious ones, we talked about Civilization last week, I think it was. And, you know, obviously Civ... Well, well, I mean, we kind of blew that out of the water, right? Because we found out that they got all their historical facts from children's books. But, um, you know, you, aside from games like Civilization or Age of Empires or uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, games that have their roots in, in history, how many other games do you know of derived from, you know, an actual historical context? I mean, I would have said Assassin's Creed, but uh, no, yeah, thanks good. for that. <laughs> no, I mean, I would, 
I would say Assassin's Creed, obviously to some degree, we would say the Call of Duties because they do have some decent portrayal with the World War One and Two um older game series like ones we grew up playing on the PlayStation. I know I've played with Dad were the Medal of Honor series. I would believe that those have some historical accuracy. And I'm sure that there are many, many more that I'm not thinking of, but those are the ones that come to mind because they were the most prevalent as I grew up. Very, very true. Uh, and know, Battlefield. And Battlefield, yes. So there's lots of games that have their, their basis in historical context. I just find it incredibly fascinating that this is a game and, and, and what's now an entire series that literally gets its name from a historical event. And not only does it get its name, but you can loosely argue that um, you can loosely argue that the game itself kind of borrows itself from the historical event. What do you know about Panama? Honestly, what do you know about Panama? I know that it's a song <laughs> and I know that there is a canal through it. that was uh, very important in trade because it allowed uh, a very, re- very large reduction in the time to get, from one side of the world to the other. Who controls the Panama Canal? I want to believe that it's Latin America, but considering I vaguely recall that uh, there was a lot of American involvement in the building of the, the canal, I wouldn't doubt that America has a very large stick holding in the canal. I don't really remember learning about the Panama Canal. Camel. I don't remember learning about the Panama Canal. Oh my goodness. I have to keep that in there. Two camels in a row. That equals a canal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember learning much about the Panama Canal either in school, but, uh, you know, I really didn't expect that one. The Panama Canal is now actually controlled by Panama and has been since January of 2000. However, prior to that, it was controlled by the United States. Uh, we are the ones who work towards digging it you know, for the longest time from when the Panama Canal was ratified until um, 2000, it it belonged to us. Hmm. But at one time, we did invade Panama. Do you know why we invaded Panama? Was it to get the canal? It had nothing to do with the canal. Absolutely nothing to do with the canal. That, my friend, though, is a very, very, very good answer. And I think without any context, a lot of people would assume. Plus, we were just talking about the canal. You're right about the canal, though. Do you know before the Panama Canal was made, how they had to make that that uh, that shipping trip? Do Do you know about that one? The where they had to sail around South America. Oh, all the way around South America. So you are all right. the way. The Panama Canal did wonders for shipping through that region. Absolute wonders for shipping through that region. But no. That is not why we invaded Panama. We invaded Panama because there's a lot of complexity here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make this the as cliff notey version as I possibly can. So the basis of it is that we invaded Panama to depose a dictator. And that dictator's name was Manuel Noriega. You ever heard of Manuel Noriega? I have not. So Manuel Noriega, for the longest time, was an asset to the United States. In fact, he worked with the CIA for a long, long time, being a paid informant, being a U.S. intelligence asset, 
in the 60s and 70s. And as he was doing it, he was not the best person ever. We'll just put it at that. Noriega was involved in... Can you guess what he was involved in, Rob? I'm going to guess drugs. He was immensely involved with drugs. The man was using our support to funnel drugs and weapons for that part to drug cartels, to rebellion groups throughout uh, Panama, Nicaragua, um, other Latin America places. Um, and because of the because of how much of a benefit he was to the United States in terms of the information, everything, a lot of American intelligence, well, not just intelligence, government agencies, period, were turning a blind eye to what he was doing. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure that there are any number of Latin America characters that probably, Latin America characters that probably were involved in drug trafficking and the such that we pro- we, we turned a blind eye to. I mean, what are you, you going to do? You know, you need to get it in in there somehow. I'm not saying it's right, but we all know it happened, you know? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. What can What can you say about it, you know? And you want to do something, but it's, you know, a, a small action can have large reaction, but at the same time, it's not feasible to catch every little thing. And just as a small positive action can cause a large positive reaction, the same can be said about the negative. You know, among among the cartels that Noriega was, was playing with, well, not among the cartels, but... You know, as he was doing this, he was emerging as a key player on behalf of the same cartel that the that Pablo Escobar became a part of. Um, so it's not like he was a, a, a minor player in all this. Dude, dude was a major player in drug trafficking and, and everything. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. There, as the war on drugs progressed and the United States started to crack down on this, Noriega became more of an, you know, he wasn't an asset. He became a liability. And in the mid 80s, you know, relationships between Noriega and the United States began to deteriorate. And as Noriega was doing this, he was shoring up power in Panama and at one point became the de facto leader of Panama. So now we have basically a figure that we helped fund and 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 put in a position of power and then he becomes the leader but he does it through all the shadiest ways that you could possibly do it and suddenly that was all brought into the open you know what i mean yeah well i mean let's be honest i don't think anyone would be shocked by something like this nowadays i i don't know what i don't i don't know what the world has gotten to to the point where we're just not shocked by stuff by by criminal man there are so many criminals in government and not just like hey we think he's doing stuff like people are getting convicted of criminal behavior in government and everyone's just like yeah okay whatever you know eh. oh yeah it's kind of sad to see how some people are so easily able to get away with whatever they want. I mean, I don't understand. There have been, and look, all politics aside, because I don't want to get into a a political debate over this, but 
there have been so many criminal indictments associated with this current administration. I don't understand when that became okay. I just don't. You know, people people are just forgiving everything or, I don't know, fake news, smoke and mirrors. I just don't get why it's okay all of a sudden. That's the part that bothers me. Not Not any of the politics, but that we're just shrugging our shoulders at it and going, eh. Yeah, so, it's it's sad that so many are so willing to overlook the so many people are willing. It's sad to see so many people willing to overlook the terrible things happening. So the way in which Doriga came to power is shady. And then in eight, May of 1989, there was a national election and we could all argue that Noriega didn't win. However, you know, Noriega's government insisted that it had won the, the presidential election and that it accused all the irregularities in the election of being on part of U.S.-backed candidates from opposition parties, which honestly, God, does that sound familiar? I mean, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound oddly familiar? That what would you say it's familiar to? Well, that all the irregularities in the presidential election are going to be on account of, I mean, for lack of a better word, the non-dominant political party at the moment. I could see some parallels. So Noriega refused to step down. And then, you know, in the months that in the months that passed by, there were some coup attempts. And, you know, the United States tried to intervene and, and, you know, get Noriega to honor the will of the people, but nothing, nothing really came of it. At the same time, you know, the United States was pushing Noriega's involvement. You know, we're, we're, they're, they're pushing for some charges, some, you know, criminal charges to be pushed against Noriega for all of his drug trafficking and, and, and other stuff that he did. And the combination of, you know, us pursuing Noriega as a, you know, drug trafficker and us trying to, you know, get a dictator removed from office after after elections failed. Um, basically, in December, Panama declared a state of war between us and the United States or between us and Panama. Right. So oh. uh, the next day. Uh, and I should start by saying that at the time, the United States had thousands of people in Panama. We had naval bases and, and there were other, you know, my guess is there were, you know, in terms of contractors there and stuff like that. I, I think it's somewhere like 30 some thousand people were in Panama at the time. So they declare a state of war. And then the next day there is a vehicle with about four U.S. military personnel who were leaving, you know, Panama City. They were going to, no, they were leaving a military base and they were going to Panama City to have dinner at a Marriott hotel. And they were stopped in their private vehicle and by members of the Panamanian Defense Forces. And then those PDF soldiers opened fire on the car. I believe one of the soldiers died and another was wounded. And the next day, we decided to invade we decided to invade panama and the military code for the panama invasion was operation just cause and there now you have the background so it kind of sounds familiar right 
Yeah, I would say there are definitely a lot of parallels to uh, the game and this real-life invasion. Right, so we have uh, a U.S. agency inserting military forces into a you know, tropical or a tropical country to depose of a dictator. Some cool parallels, right? Absolutely. Scary. How uh, scary how similar this is to one another. So we justify the invasion on four things, that they wanted to safeguard the lives of U.S. citizens in Panama. And yes, I'm I'm looking at my notes here. There were about 35,000 U.S. citizens. They wanted to defend democracy and human rights in Panama because, you know, evil dictator. They wanted to combat drug trafficking because, you know, we we propped up a drug trafficker. And there were some years earlier, we had created a treaty. And that was the treaty, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Torrijos-Carter Treaty and, and Jimmy Carter and, and the Panama uh president or whichever that signed it i believe that's a treaty that uh that in which the united states agreed to sign over control of the panama canal by the year 2000 because we signed that treaty back in the back in the i'm looking at notes here back in the 70s it is indeed so they wanted to honor that treaty that was their fourth justification because if we were going to give the panama canal over to uh to panama Obviously, it would benefit us to make sure Panama was a stable country and that that treaty wasn't at risk. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We sent a lot of soldiers in, though. Not going to lie. We sent airborne divisions and infantry and rangers. And there are special forces. You know, there are there. We sent a lot of people in. It's, it's a little different than Operation Just Cause in which we send one really good looking agent named Rico in. We sent quite a few American soldiers into Panama. Well, that's just because we didn't have a Rico Rodriguez to save the day for us. <laughs> it's very true. You know, in the end, this lasted about a month. We lost about 23 people. Uh, actually, the casualty for the American side were 23 killed and 325 wounded, where the casualty for the Panama side was about uh, two to 300 killed and 1,900 captured. But we both went in... Uh, let's see, notes, notes. We both went in with, they had 20,000 to start with. We had 27,000 to start with. So we sent 27,000 people to war in Panama to take over the country from an evil tra- tra- drug trafficking dictator. And I do think that sounds a whole lot like the, the basis of this game. And I think that it's very, very cool that the game has an actual historical, has an actual historical background. I would have to agree. And you know, Dave, I think that while we still have everyone kind of sleeping from your history discussion, now would be a wonderful time for our first break. Man, will you look at that car. The Supernova is an all-new two-door front-engine sports car coming to you by the brilliant minds at Chevalier. The 2006 model comes standard with sport bumpers and a new sleek grille that will have heads turning as you race down the road. Being pursued by members of the cartel? Put the pedal to the floor and leave them in your dust. This car is fast, fast, fast. Speed not your thing? Not to worry. The Chevalier Supernova handles like a dream as well. This front-wheel drive marble can handle like there's no tomorrow. 
there's no other car like the Chevalier Supernova on the market. And you know you can trust them because Chevalier has been around since the mid-20th century and no one brings better cars to San Espirito. Get your new 2006 Chevalier Supernova anywhere that Chevalier cars are sold today. All right, we are back. And we were, right before our break, talking about Operation Just Cause, which is the real-life invasion of Panama, the U.S. invasion of Panama. So the Just Cause series has an actual background in history. We were wrapping it up. You know, Just Cause lasted about a month. Uh, I did want to finish that conversation with, with one more thing, in case you were wondering. We did capture Manuel Noriega. He was tried for charges of racketeering, drug smuggling, and money laundering. And he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. He was released after 17. Seems a little unfair to me. Well, you know, he was released. He was... France wanted to extradite him to charge him with something else, I'm guessing, I'm looking at. He was sent to France in 2010, where he was sentenced to seven years of imprisonment for money laundering. And then in 2011, France extradited him to Panama, where he was incarcerated for crimes committed during his rule. And he remained incarcerated in Panama until he died in March of 2017 after complications from brain tumor surgery. So some avoid here, man's Manuel Noriega, tried by the United States was United States prison. He got out on, on time. We sent him to France where they charged him and imprisoned him for money laundering. Once he was done in France, France is like, here, Panama, you can have him back now. And Panama threw him in jail until the end of his days, basically. That seems uh, a little more fair for there, someone like him. There you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, he, he definitely, definitely paid for the rest of his days for all of his, well, um, for lack of a better word, let's call it war crimes, right? Right. War crimes. And, you know, in the end, we, Panama got a, a legitimate president, all other history aside. Panama got a, Panama got a, a good uh, president. And, you know, life went on. And eventually, in the year 2000, like everyone wanted to back then, Panama got control of the Panama Canal. And that's Operation Ooh. Just Cause, which is pretty freaking cool. I don't think. So this is what I said, eighty nine, ninety. So we're talking history, history, right? And there's going to be a large, I'm assuming, going to be a large bunch of listeners here that aren't going to have any idea that this ever happened. And the fact that it happened when I was a child, and now I have to talk about history, and that concept is really kind of disheartening. I'm not going to lie. Old. But you know, I was thinking about it the other day, because we just hit the what 19th anniversary of september 11th so Correct. Sept- september 11th was 2001 you were six you have no concept of that do you false i remember coming home uh getting picked up from school amber and aunt denise were over and we sat in the living room watching tv and i didn't understand what was going on but i definitely remember sitting next to the couch watching the television and seeing the news and just feeling dread so you remember everyone's feelings around it but you don't have any recollection of the events you were were too young to register what was going on 
Correct. Man, that is just... It, it's it's so weird to me to think of a generation... And, and you know what? It happens your entire life. You know, I, I remember talking about things that happened in this 60s, 70s, like the Vietnam War. You know, Vietnam War would have been before my time, and we talk about it. And when you're young, you think, oh my God, that, that happened such a long time ago. We're talking about it like it's history. And now that's September 11th, it's 19 years. But man, that that that's not that long ago. I was in high school. I was graduating from high school. And now for a whole generation of people, it's history. There are teenagers out there who have no idea what the world was like before that happened. There's going to be kids out there that have no idea what the world was like before COVID. Because I promise you, the, the world's never going to be the same after COVID. And it just blows my mind that things keep happening like this and the world just goes on and then it becomes history. And here we are talking about Operation Just Cause and it's history. Just history. It's not even that long ago. It's in my lifetime. History is in my lifetime. We're talking about history that is in my lifetime. Ugh. No. No. Can we not? Can we just stop here and go home? Wait, we are home. That we are, Dave. That we are. It doesn't ever get to you. You're still not at that age yet where you think about stuff like that? I barely think about what I did today. <laughs> oh, good lord. Oh. I mean, for me, it's definitely much less of an effect. I don't have as much history in my life, though obviously there have definitely been historical things. I just try not to think too much on it because who knows the impact that that history will have on other people. And just knowing that I'll be able to speak on where I was on that day may have an, a further impact on those people is something that, while I look forward to, is not something that I think about often. That's a good point. Do you have a September 11th in your lifetime? Like, a historical event that changed everything that you can be like, yo, I was here at this time. Like, do you have one of those in your lifetime? I, I, well, I'll. September 11th no no but you know what I mean you were you were too young for that like you you don't you don't have a before and after for something like that you don't I I know you were there but you don't have you don't have that correlation like you don't have the same relation to it that a lot of other people do has there been something in your lifetime that has been like that at least before COVID I mean I I I, this year is going to be one of those things we're all going to be talking about you know yeah, okay. thinking about it, I mean, there's obviously large historical events, but to what degree are they as large as that in the nation? I mean, we think World War One, World War Two, and there were the jokes of World War Three around the beginning of the year. But when you stop and think about it, yes, there was Osama bin Laden, and yes, Trump becoming president, and yes, coronavirus, and maybe coronavirus will have some more lasting impacts and may change things to a lot higher of a degree, but it's not currently something that we view the same as the September 11th attacks or World War One and Two or the Vietnam War or the large worldwide situations i don't believe that you know a world in which the united states is not at war do you no you don't at all 
The United States has been a war your whole life. Persian Gulf, Operation Desert Storm. Well, Desert Storm, yeah, no, that's that, the start I mean, of it. Desert Storm was my was mine. That was ninety one. That was before before your time. But didn't that continue on through ninety five when I was born? That's what I was getting at. Uh, or was that Gulf? No, I mean Desert Storm. Desert Storm ended in ninety one. No, I mean, well, look, I mean, your earliest memory of everything is going to be because of September eleventh. Am I am I wrong? I mean, we went to war. We went to war, you know, because of September 11th, and that was Operation. Was it Freedom? Or I, I don't even know. It was when we went for the the war in Afghanistan. I mean, it was just called the war in Afghanistan. The war in Afghanistan is still not over. I mean, we're technically still in Afghanistan, and that was December. What October of 2001? I mean, we September 11th, and the next month we were we were in there. Operation Enduring Freedom, that's what it was originally called, and then it was Freedom Sentinel. And for the record, the war in oh. Afghanistan the war in Afghanistan is the longest war in US history. And it has it's been going on since September two thousand one. So really as long as for as long as you can remember, the United States has been at war, you know? So anyway, uh, yeah. Interesting food for thought. You you've never really known a world without us being at war, which is kinda sad. Not that I really have either, to be honest with you, because we had Desert Storm and I'm sure something happened in between, but whatever. All right. So that is your history lesson for today. How that how did that how'd that make you feel? Boy, does it take me back to middle school and barely keeping my eyes open. <laughs> I know. I I apologize to all the people that I put to sleep and crashed their vehicle. And I apologize to all the other people caught up in those accidents. Uh, me so sorry, Rob, I want to return to the concept of revolution, right? Cause we, we start out talking a little bit about revolution and this game is about a U.S. operative creating a revolution or assisting revolutions among the people to, to, to basically throw overthrow a authoritarian government. How's that? Yeah, that yeah. Works. yeah, yeah. So proletariat. Yeah, yes, bourgeois. You know, I I had a I met a I assisted a customer the other day with a last name bourgeois, and she gave it to me, and then I wrote it down. She goes, "Wow, most people don't spell that right." And I'm just thinking to myself, "Thank you, French history classes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charles Dickens." That's I was like, I've seen bourgeois. Plenty, and I think it's funny no one gets it because I mean I live in French Cajun country. Bourgeois is bourgeois. Come on, man, it's all over the place. I just brought up uh, French history. I brought up Charles Dickens, uh, which which is a good place to start. So most of the time when we talk about revolution in media, we talk about it from the perspective of a book like Tale of Two Cities, right? Which is which is French Revolution. Or movies. Rob, can you think of a, a movie that involves a revolution? Braveheart. Very good. That's a good one. That's a good one. In all of those other forms of media, we are an impartial observer to to revolution, are we not? Uh, unless you're an extra in those movies, or somehow in the book, I would say so. Well, I mean, from the perspective of the person consuming it, which would be us, you know, if we read A Tale of Two Cities and we watch Braveheart, we're observing a revolution. If we play a video game, 
we become a participant. We become, in most cases, the agent of change. How do you think that that changes our perception of revolution in its context? I would think that being the agent of change gives you more immersion into the situation. It makes you want to understand more and see what your actions are affecting and how the actions are actually taking effect on the situation. You want to know if you go this route, how is it going to make changes? Or if you take this other route, how is it going to make changes? Is it easier to do it one way over the other? Or you immerse yourself more into the story because you are an active participant in that and you're not just reading or watching it. You are actually immersing yourself into that story because you're the one controlling that story. You're the one controlling the pace of it and choosing when to make the move and which move to make, whether it's go out guns blazing or to play the stealthy operative and do everything from behind the curtain, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, you know? No, that's very true. So I want to make another point. So aren't most revolutionary stories about the underdog, to be fair? Absolutely. Do you think that... Well, let's look at some other revolutionary games in that context, right? So revolution, as we just said, are always the underdogs. So... Let's take Assassin's Creed, the third one. You play as uh, Connor, right? Did you play Assassin's Creed 3? I've played all of the... Assa- well, all right. I, I, I know yeah, the answer no. to that. Say it. I've, I have definitely played Assassin's Creed 3. It is probably one of my favorite. So Connor is the Native American, correct? Yes. And he interjects himself in the American Revolutionary War. Correct. Do you think he's the underdog? You know, it's a tough one being... Native American. They're not really the majority. True, but he is a clandestine assassin. Highly trained assassin. Yes, however, a highly trained assassin, as we've seen in those games, can still be found. Ah, I don't know, that one's kind of weird. That's a weird No, no, weird no, stretch. we're good. No, I, I don't, I think that's fine. Ever played Dishonored? I have not. How about Skyrim? Oh, come on. You got me that for my birthday. Of course I played that one. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Have you played Skyrim on your microwave? Uh, I'm sorry. Did you say on my microwave? Yeah. I mean, isn't Skyrim any... Did you... I sent you that meme last week about Skyrim. Didn't I post it on our Discord? Uh, The one about about, um, Microsoft buying Skyrim so Todd Howard can't port it to any more systems? Ah, yes. Do you remember, yes, you remember, remember. that one? And yep. the follow-up the follow-up joke is jokes on you. Microsoft paid 7.5 billion, so what oh god, how did that go? Paid 7.5 billion uh one one more time for Skyrim. <laughs> because so many of us have bought it over and over and over. There's revolution in Skyrim, is there not? There absolutely is. You pick sides. You're either a Stormcloak or I wish I can remember the other side, Imperial. Is that the other side? Yes. Which side are you? You know, it depends on the day. Really? No. No. See? See? You're not an Imperial, are you? No, of course I am. (laughs) No, I am not. I definitely follow Ulfric Stormcloak. That's the underdogs, right? The Imperial is the king, the royalty, the, the, you know, they're the ones that have all the consolidated power. So you 
actively chose to be the underdog in that story, did you not? Yes, that would be correct. So people that pick the other side actively taking part in the revolution, I guess anti-revolution. I, I, would it be anti-revolution? I don't remember. It's been a long time since I played Skyrim. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed right now. That's okay. I guess the point is, is that I, I struggle with that concept because for the most part, revolutionary behavior to me is the underdogs. It's, it's the, the people that have been beaten and, and pushed down and, and, and don't have a voice, you know, rising up in mass to become the catalyst for change. Like, you know, for instance, all the, the social justice people in our country, you know, not that that's a physical revolution. That's a, a peaceful protest, but I guess I, I guess the point is, is I just struggle. I struggle with, I struggle with all those characters being the instrument of change. I don't, I don't see them being the underdog. In fact, I can only really think of one game off the top of my head that I think did the concept of a revolution and, and, and being a revolutionary very well. It was not an impressive game, but the story fits. Do you, do you remember a game? I think it was Xbox 360 era game called Homefront. I remember the game, but I don't remember playing it. Yeah, it was it was a, a largely forgettable game. Gameplay was clunky. There wasn't much to talk about it, but you, you definitely were, you know, more beaten and battered citizen, you know, growing up in the not so nice place that, that joined a revolution. It was it was definitely much better. But for the most part, I don't. I don't know. I really struggle with games and revolution. I, I love being thrown in the middle of it. Assassin's Creed 3, Connor's story and being thrown in the middle of the revolution. Oh my God, was that cool. I, I mean, I know you love the Assassin's Creed series. So do I. So all the Assassin's Creed are awesome. Getting thrown in the middle of actual history, which is a lot of what we're talking about today, I just think is the, is the coolest thing ever, you know? Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, as you hit it on the head, I do love the Assassin's Creed games and Although I haven't played the most recent ones due to lack of time, the earlier ones in the series I definitely put many hours into and admittedly tried 100%ing the games on many occasions. Although I was never quite able to because it's a lot to do. <laughs> absolutely. Those damn feathers. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, you know, I think that's another good place to pause for a moment. So let's take uh, another break. We'll be back in just a moment with this trip down memory card lane. And we're back. We are nearing the end of uh, our episode. I, But I want to talk, you know, for a moment about the Just Cause itself. When you go to look at the PC version of Just Cause on Steam, it's got thousands upon thousands of reviews but they're very mixed. And I want to take a moment and, and talk about that. So I'm going to read a, a couple others. Uh, uh, I'm going to read a couple reviews just so we can put this into context. Okay. So Willatron writes, this game is by modern standards, broken, flawed, and bad, but I don't care because when I play this, I'm reminded of a simpler time when games didn't have to be complicated to be great to play. And the second one, Written by Tiger Poster writes, a terrible, clunky mess of a game, and I enjoyed every second. And then he goes on to finish, Just Cause 1 was an unforgettable experience. 
I want to go back to the first one though, where he writes, "This game is by modern sacri- by modern standards broken, flawed, and bad." Modern standards being the keyword, right? So th- we're talking today about just cause, but there's a just cause two, three, and a four. I have played all of them, so I'm telling you from experience, they have gotten better and better and better. Impossible. Games do I, not improve over the years. I know, I know, but the point is, is that I think most of the bad reviews, as this guy notes by modern standards, are comparing it to all of the modern versions of it. The Just Cause 2 and Just Just Cause 3 was amazing, y'all. If you've never played Just Cause 3, go play Just Cause 3. But these guys are playing the original. They're picking up. You, you can pick up the first just cause for like a dollar fifty on Steam right now. So they're spending a dollar fifty on this game. They're going back and they're playing this game from two thousand six with a, you know a twenty seventeen title that's stellar. I mean, absolutely stellar in their mind. And they're coming up with this game being broken, flawed, and bad because they're comparing it to modern standards. Do you think that's fair? Being someone who lived with a speedrunner and who frequented the older Resident Evil games, I would often go back and try playing them when he wasn't doing his speedrunning. And I hate tank controls with a fiery passion, but I still recognize that the games at the time were phenomenal. Trying to compare them to modern standards, I think, is kind of unfair because they did not have the technology and the know-how that they have now. We've advanced so much in a year, let alone 14. I mean, because there was something like technology advanced for every year, basically four, it's a four times faster than time is passing is the speed of our technological advancement. When I, I can't of, remember what it was. When I, you, excuse me. When I think of technology, I always think of, isn't it Moore's law? The one where the number of resistors and in, in computers will double by years or something like that. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One thing I remember from engineering was Moore's Law, and that's the observation that a number of transistors in an integrated circuit doubles about every two years. So when you take that in consideration, these transistors on a microchip means that there's more processing power. There's more ability to do work and to have better graphics, to have more complex games, have shorter load times. And when you consider that it's doubling every two years, think of that over 14 years. The comparison is nigh. You do not have a comparison. You can try comparing something from 14 years ago, but it's, of course, not going to be the same as it is today. And it's, it's not fair for those older games to receive a comparison based on new games just because of that fact of how much we have advanced, how much the controllers have changed, how much the graphics and the audios have changed and developed and advanced. I mean, that would be like trying to compare your 20-year-old self to your 35-year-old self. Hey, Rob, do, do we really... I haven't looked in a while. Do we really still... Are we still on the, the Moore's, Moore's Law curve? Are we still on the curve? I don't um, know if we are, honestly. I mean, I, I still believe in Moore's Law, but I don't know if we're still on the curve. That, that stuff used to fascinate me. You know, because we don't, we don't need to get into it, but computers changed. It used to be about speed and cramming as much as you could, you know, speed-wise into it. And now it's more about threading and, and multitasking and, you know what I mean? Cores. Yeah. We have cores now. Well, so what do you think? Do you think 
that the people are being fair? Do you think that the game, you know, I mean, when, when Just Cause came out, it got really favorable reviews, you know? I'm just looking here. GameSpot gave it 7.2 out of 10. IGN gave it 6.8 out of... Nope, the Xbox 360 version got it 8.8 out of 10. The Times gave it 5 out of 5 stars. So at the time, it was reviewed very favorably. Do you think that that would have held up that people were just unfairly holding it to modern standards? I would say so, yes. Okay. I think so, too. I do. And it's hard sometimes. You know, we... Obviously, we're here, and we have a nostalgia podcast, and and we have to be very aware of the fact that we are looking back at things, you know, through a different lens nowadays, but it was different, you know, and when we talk a little bit about that, that's part of the fun of what we do, so. All right, well, Rob, so I'm going to wrap it up with something new, okay? You excited? Okay, let's hear it, Dave. I'm interested. I spend a lot of time listening to us, right. and one of the things that I noticed is that we are a podcast, at least one of the goals that we set when we, we first tried to get out was that we wanted to discuss the impact that games had on all of our lives, right? Right. Well, we talk a lot about the games, but we don't really ever come back to that concept talking about how we feel the games have impacted our lives. And so I want to take a moment at the end of this episode and hopefully all the others moving forward where we're going to talk just about that. So kind of like a what's the verdict type deal, right? So just cause. In the context of what you know then, what we've talked about, and what you know about the Just Cause series now, how do you feel that the invention, you know, that the publishing of the first Just Cause impacted gamers? Having not played the original, I can't speak much to that. Although I can say that with the later titles in the series, I know personally it has caused hours upon hours of enjoyment. I mean, I can tell you summer days with my best friends, we would watch funny video game compilations on YouTube as we were hanging out, you know. We got older, turned 21, we started drinking some. We drink every time something really made us laugh. That was one of our games. And then, you know, as you drink more, you laugh more, and it turns to some fun. And I know that every time Just Cause came on, it was some of the most hilarious antics, some of the most outlandish things being done in the game. And we would just spend so much time dying of laughter, unable to breathe. And that's just from watching videos of other people doing things in the game. I couldn't imagine how much more fun it would be to actually come up with these ideas and actually be the one taking the grappling hook to some poor schmuck on the side of the road as you shoot a propane tank and send him flying into the abyss. I just think it's just that watching all of those things alone for myself has definitely caused hours of enjoyment and i can only imagine what more so playing the actual game would have caused well as someone who played the game i am actually going to agree with a lot of what you said i think a lot of the reviews have it spot on there was a lot of fun to this game but there was also a lot of clunkiness to this game too it was I don't think it was anything revolutionary at the time, although the stunt system was pretty cool. 
but it built upon what a lot of other games were doing and it did it better and bigger. But most importantly, what it did do was lay the groundwork for what has become an, I, I personally believe, an outstanding gaming series. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with the fourth one, to be honest with you, but the Just Cause 3 in particular is one of my favorite games in the past couple of years. And so much so, I you know, I don't know if, if it speaks to it, but we've talked about in the past that there are very few games that I actually buy all the DLC for. I actually own all the DLC for Just Cause 3. It's one of those rare ones. So wow. um, I know I went back and I bought it because I wanted more Just Cause 3. I, I think... I think that it laid the foundation. I think that it laid the foundation for an excellent series. And, and uh, you know, that's great. That's my verdict. My verdict is first game in a great series. Thank you much for keeping it going. Because if the game was bad, it wouldn't have kept going. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at all of the game series out there. If they didn't have such a large fan base, they wouldn't keep going. And this is another example of that. People hated the first one with a passion. It never would have taken off. Very, very true. And I think that's a good place to wrap it up for the day. What do you say? Yeah, I would have to agree. And I do want to say, as we're wrapping up, we do want to ask, what was your impact of the Just Cause series? We'd love to hear your stories. And Dave, why don't you go ahead and tell them where they can tell us those stories? Yes, I spend way too much time, the time sink known as memory card. No, I'm just kidding. Guys, come come check out our website at www.memorycardlane.com. There you can find notes on today's show where you can get links to some of our, our information. You can find, most importantly, a link to our Discord. Rob, did you know that our mother joined our Discord? Don't remind me. I almost hightailed it out of there when I found <laughs> out. Guys, mom is there. That's how you know it's cool, right? Join the Discord, have some conversations. Mom's not a snitch, we promise. Give us something more than just our mother to talk to, people. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. Nah, seriously, though. Come join our Discord. We, we want to have conversations. You know, we've repeatedly talked about um, inviting other people into these conversations and out of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to be part of the conversations. And you can do so on memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else is, is there on our website? You can find a little background information on Dave and I. You can find past episodes. You can find links to our Patreon. Yes, Patreon. That's right. We have a Patreon. For a couple dollars or more, you can get some extra stuff. Just started to put some behind-the-scenes stuff. We've been working on uh, bonus episodes been a little bit slow to get patreon content out there but it is something that we're actively working on so we're wrapping up the patreon we'd love uh your support in growing this community absolutely so come on down join us but stay with us weekly as we take a trip down memory card lane